All right. Well, welcome to the OWL Podcast. My name is Jameson, and as always, I'm here with my co-host, Jerry. Jerry, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Good. And then we have with us, as usual, Willie. I am stupendous, sir. Yes. And then we have a special guest. Uh, Lane has been on one of our podcasts before. He was on a podcast we had about uh, guns. This was probably, oh, about a year ago now. But... um, He's back, and he's going to join us for this episode. So, Lane, how are you doing? Doing well. Thanks, guys, for having me again. Happy to be here. Of course, buddy. You're always welcome on. So, so yeah, uh, Jerry, you brought up an interesting topic um, with the whole uh, COVID-19 thing going on. Um, a lot of people are saying that some constitutional rights are essentially being suspended, uh, particular ones being like the freedom to assemble, things of that nature as well, with the whole social distancing aspect of stuff. Uh, so let's kind of get it kicked off with you just kind of talking a little bit about that conversation you and Kelly had. So, all right, going in raw. No, uh... we're going in raw, raw dog in this bitch. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, no foreplay. No. With, with permission, of no course. No foreplay. We, we I just, do have well... permission. Very consensual conversation. Well, Willie said that he's kind of on a time frame, so I'm just saying, let's just dive right head head in first. <laughs> yeah. Have you guys seen? You guys watch Curb Your Enthusiasm? Yeah, a little bit. I do. Um, there's a great scene in the new season where he's like, he's like, uh, he goes to a girl's apartment and they're like starting to touch and like get physical. And he, he's like, wait, before we get started, he puts his phone on the coffee table and he starts like pushes record. He goes, commence session. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's kind of like the the reality we live in now. Oh. Yeah. Everything is kid gloves, man. Yeah, you got to be really careful. I'm very glad to be paired off and boring. It's yeah, awesome. Eventually, you three are basically, well, Willie and Jerry are married, and Lane's basically married, so thankfully you guys got that going in your favor right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, watch out, dude. Don't have, to do the, don't have to do that dating game anymore. Well, now I just have to record my wife's permission. <laughs> Tony, if you go to July twenty second, twenty eighteen, there's an audio recording that you uh, ex- expressly uh, allowed this to occur, madam. You told me I could go out searching for slump busters. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, anyway. um, jumping right into it. Uh, so in our last episode, we talked a little bit about Corona. I don't know. We kind of exhausted that topic a little bit. We rehash stuff but um i was listening to another podcast called the fifth column and they're all pretty libertarian kind of focus more on constitutional rights and one of the hosts brought up an interesting point about constitutional rights and it got me thinking it's not a topic that i constantly think about i'm not a civil rights activist or anything but it was interesting to kind of get a new perspective and the, the new york times also came out with a, an article that um think I forgot the exact name of the title but it's something along the lines of you know with fears of coronavirus growing and spreading you know uh, governments are essentially grabbing for power right and so it was uh me and kelly got to my wife got to talking around yesterday and we started talking about different rights and, and essentially powers that were granted the government in a time of crisis right and then a time like this like San Diego, where I live, for example, is uh, is banning gatherings of federal people. They're banning also religious gatherings, and they can find it. And I mean, we get into interesting topics about you know, impeding or 
sort of coming up against your constitutional rights, your freedom to assemble, your freedom of religion also. Like, you know, if somebody gets fined, like happened last night in San Diego beaches, people were gathering, you know, small parties here and there and fines and citations were issued. So, you know, how does this affect our, our constitutional right to assemble and more importantly, things like freedom of religion where governments, you know, state governments are telling people not to get together even though they're just right, right? So it, it just kind of brings up interesting topics about what rights we're willing to give up in a time of crisis. Right. Hmm. So I guess... Sorry. No, please, go ahead. Uh, yeah, so I, Jerry, I think you bring up a good point about the freedom of assembly. We definitely have seen instances, well, was it in Ohio? I can't remember the exact state, but there was a preacher that got arrested for obviously disobeying the uh, stay-at-home order. Was it Louisiana? I don't know the state. Yeah, it's a good question. It might have been a southern state. I don't know. Uh, but, we, yeah, there was one or two pastors that had been arrested for, for disobeying the stay-at-home order. Mm-hmm. I my 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 fear is actually less with the the gathering the social gathering um the freedom of assembly I I actually don't think that's going to really be an issue I think once we uh return to a level of normalcy I don't think there's going to be any outreaching law that's going to say freedom of assembly is going to maybe be restricted once this clears up my fear is it's just going to be government expansion. And we've seen this with other, uh, what we would call recession level events. Let's go back to the whole social security. Social security was born out of the great depression. And that's, that's a huge, huge government program that is a big part of our GDP now. And that was born out of that, uh, a very specific economic event. And so if we see another, uh, recession level, that's on par with the Great Depression or even worse, which some people are projecting unemployment exceeding what we saw in the Great Depression. The question is going to be what government program is going to be born from this? Are we going to start seeing AOC type, you know, wishes fulfilled where it's guaranteed federal jobs or we're going to see minimum wages, you know, federal level minimum wage increase, those types of things. But my fear is more just expansion of government versus a crackdown on, say, social gatherings. Hmm. I agree with that, actually, yeah. 100%. Uh, I mean, it, it won't... Oh, sorry, go ahead, Jim. No, no, that's... I was just saying, I agree with what Lane said, 100%. I think that's a very valid fear, and that's one that I have as well. So, anyway, if you wanted to chime in, go ahead. Yeah, I think the, the fear is a little less uh, sort of government overreach in the United States. I think that most politicians are pretty sensible in the United States and we have so much bureaucracy that it's hard to consolidate all that power, but it is happening around the world. For example, in Israel, Netanyahu consolidated power and he essentially stopped all courts and courts can't convene. And now he, he was supposed to go under trial for, I forget the exact uh, specifics of the case, but he was supposed to undergo trial for corruption and other things. And he essentially stopped courts from convening and gathering. So Viktor Orban in Hungary has just consolidated power. He's pretty much a dictator in all right. his name. Um, and it does happen around the world. And even in the United States, the 
essentially the Department of Justice reached out to Congress that, you know, we would like an expansion of our powers. We would like to hold people indefinitely. It didn't, you know, obviously Congress balked at it, but these are these, you know, power grabs that, that we need to be careful about. Well, to, to kind of establish a little bit more on what Lane was saying, I, I agree with like his point of view. And, and I think that I would like to think that our politicians have that sense of, you know, uh, patriotism that they want to essentially not overreach. But there is a populist movement that's going on right now with a lot of the people that tend to follow AOC and Bernie Sanders and stuff like that, that want, I think, more government control. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine the other day who identifies as a democratic socialist. And her big thing that she was talking about with this is that she wants there to be uh, this to be like a sign to give uh, the public some kind of ideas of a revolution is her exact words were a revolution and a revolution of uh, essentially Overhaul in healthcare, uh, overhaul in government, overhaul in essential uh, capitalism ideas, uh, things of that nature that she's blaming, and that a lot of people in a populist movement are blaming uh, these ideas for the reason that we now have COVID-19 in the United States. So, I mean, despite the fact that you think that it, you know, a lot of the politicians out there won't essentially go towards that direction, there is a large movement of people that has a very populist movement towards wanting those ideas essentially. Yeah. Jamal, I th- and they might, sorry, go ahead, man. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I'm finished. You're dead on, man. I think this is going to 100% push for universal, universal healthcare. And they're going to say, we were ill-equipped to handle this. The government was ill-equipped. You can't rely on the private sector. And so now the government needs to step in and take control to prevent the next, this next issue. And that it's going to be a huge push for, uh, in my opinion, for government-run healthcare. Mm-hmm. I think government-run healthcare is also just the start of it. So. Yeah, I mean, it's just but, if you go through, I mean, the, our government has just gotten bigger. It's never gotten smaller. It just continues to swell and expand. Yeah, and I mean, whether you're Democrat or Republican, I think that that's common sense would dictate that's not the best idea, but I could be wrong. So, Willie, what do you think of this? Well, as far as the healthcare piece is concerned, I don't know how a lot of people are going to be able to afford any sort of long-term ICU visit. There's a lot of people that are pretty grossly underinsured, and I think that might be the only um, argument somebody might have towards nationalizing a healthcare system. But, I mean, we're speculating on what's going to happen tomorrow. Um, to go back to the initial question of, you know, constitutionally speaking, our shelter-in-place orders, our mass quarantines, uh, a violation of our civil liberties, I think somebody could make the argument that, yes, um, they are to a certain extent. But it's, I would say, a short-term sacrifice to keep people sheltered in, keep people hunkered down to, at the very least, just – minimize the contraction rate uh, of, of this communicable disease so that we don't overwhelm a system that's, that's teetering on the brink as we speak. Uh, very true. Power grabs, vacuums, et cetera, et cetera. Like that, that is going to be something that's going to push itself into the forefront in the coming months because that's just inevitable. There are people in positions that wish to expand whatever power that they have and be it further bureaucratizing things, be it further nationalizing things, yes, that's that's definitely something that's 
that's that's at least going to attempt to happen by certain parties and powers that be. But um, I, I think to answer the initial question, is it constitutionally in a gray area? Absolutely. If you go back to the basic root of quarantine, you're looking at an individual. Hey, this person has X. We need to put them in an isolated um, situation, temporary house arrest, whatever you want to call it. Have them fuck off mm-hmm. for a few weeks, wait until they're no longer hot, and then, okay, that problem is taken care of. How can you extrapolate that from an individual guaranteed to something that's, that's bigger? You know, hey, this entire county, because there's been X amount of cases at these different residences, we need to lock it all down. It gets, it gets, it gets dicier. But I think that's just that's going to be one of the, the, the side effects of trying to institute something so sweeping and so draconian in an otherwise democratic country. I mean, we're, we're used to doing whatever the fuck we want to, going wherever we want to, traveling between right. counties, traveling between states. It, it's from a moral perspective, it's going to get gray. But I think that's just the nature of something like this. When you have to move fast when something has an incubation period for what, like a week before a lot of people start to show any symptoms. It gets it gets dicier, and mm-hmm. to legislate a definitive answer out to something like this, it's tough. It really is. So, I don't know. Um, should people just chill the hell out? Yes. Um, are there some some eh, like the people on the beaches that were congregating? Why are you congregating on the beach? Like, come on. There, there, there's a disease that's killing people. But on the other hand, is it is it viable to find them? How much were they finding them, Jerry? Whew, top per person? Oh, that's steep. Yeah, exactly. And this is at a time where, so for example, you have the government through an overreaction instituting these, these policies. And one, we don't know if these policies actually do anything. For example, we just found out today that cats can get them, right? We have no idea that if this disease is, is spread easily right. through the air. Some of the most recent studies are saying that it's, um, it's, uh, what do they call it? Aerosolized? What, what's the terminology they use, Jerry? Yeah. Yeah. It's just aerosolized. There's water droplets and, and you speak and then. Yes. There is a building case, um, uh, pushing at least in that direction. Again, nothing is, is a hundred percent concrete, but there is a growing argument mounting that, it is, in fact, that contagious. Yeah. And then, I mean, so if they're instituting these policies, we don't know if they're actually effective. And then, two, because the government overreacted and is instituting these policies, now we have people that are losing their jobs by the millions. Like, we have, as you can say, like, there's six, ten million people, somewhere in that range of people applied for unemployment. That's just... Oh, yeah, because the system was crashing left and right, yeah? We don't know... Exactly. And so as Lane and Jamal were alluding to, like, we're now going to have you know, populist government, populist politicians essentially try to implement policies that are overblown, are way too bureaucratic, right? So, so would you say that, that there's going to be a, a very reactionary response to this? Like, way the pendulum will swing too far in the opposite direction? Well, yeah, and just to come to my point, but, and, uh, but I mean, you, for example, you had Bernie saying that vaccines should be free. <laughs> I don't yeah. know what plan is that? 
yeah, like all the people that have done all this work, they're doing it basically out of the goodness of their heart because they don't have bills to pay and, you know, mouths to feed. Guys, you know what else should be free? College, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so that should be for you. Okay, so back to my point, throw that out there. This is a question is, does the demo is a Republican Party going to overexpand government? Or are we just looking at the Democratic Party wanting to do that? Well, the the Republican Party made a push predominantly through a a Republican Party, or I guess Republican-dominated Department of Justice, where they try to make a push toward power. And they said, you know, we want to hold people indefinitely. I think they also made a push towards um, reneging on some asylum seekers' rights. Just the power grab. Traditionally, Republicans have been for smaller government, so I don't see essentially a, a grab for power in that sense or, or more government institution. But it was a surprise for me exactly like this stimulus bill. That was a surprise for me. I didn't think that they would actually go through with it. But and knows, the fact like, that it was almost unanimous in both the, um, the Senate and the House, you know, both Democratic. Well, and it was Republican. the equivalent yeah, of a tourniquet. We lost yeah. an arm economically. You know, yeah. all of a sudden, overnight, untold millions. And that's not even quantifying all of the gig workers that are out there are on their asses without jobs. Furthermore, like, I, I look at my own spending. Mm-hmm. I've been doing dick all outside of my house, just just hanging out, eating groceries and doing chores and doing nothing. I'm not patroning restaurants, bars. I'm not going to movies. I'm not doing idle shopping or retail, big blockchains of any sort. Um, as yeah. far as my like purchasing footprint has gone, it's it, it shrunk yeah. to nothing overnight. The, yeah, yeah, especially so, well, specifically with discretionary spending. Oh God, yeah. I mean, like there even little things like, dude, I was planning on buying several hundred dollars worth of mulch, right? Something simple like that, and I'm I'm delaying because I'm like, eh, let's just see how long we're gonna be stuck in this weird purgatory we find ourselves in. And I'm just not making the purchase. So, like, you know, something that I wouldn't have even thought twice about. Now I'm like, well, that's a couple of hundred bucks. I need to sit on that. I need to see exactly what's going to happen. When am I going to be back on a sales floor? When am I going to be making money? I'm still making some money, but it's survival money. It's it's enough to keep the lights on, pay the bills, make sure Chase Bank doesn't kick me out of my house. That That's that's equivalent. That's pretty much all I'm doing. Right. So it's – um. It's big. I, I, I think they saw that and they were just like, fuck us. We need to prevent our economy from literally imploding. Let's throw a couple of imaginary dollars at it. What was it? 2.2 trillion? Like something something astronomical. Yeah. yeah and this, can't be, this can't be the new norm. Like I have a lot of criticisms towards the Trump administration. One is... It's just seemingly just not taking this seriously for the longest time. And now essentially an overreaction by the government. This can't be the new norm where we just shut everything down and just throw a trillion. When money is imaginary, you can throw whatever you want at anything. One trillion dollars. (laughs) Golden Bentley in every driveway. Yeah. Yes, I agree. That's that's the other issue is the the debt. And then now we're getting into kind of a macroeconomic conversation about the level of debt that the U.S. government is taking on. And there seems to be no 
there is, seems to be no filter with the spending. And you're right, the Republican Party traditionally was a more conservative party, also fiscally, and that's gone. So, Jerry, you're, I agree with you. The criticisms of the Trump government mm-hmm. and just the Republican Party in general is we've lost that level of fiscal conservatism that we that the Republican Party used to have, presumably. And that now that's where you're now defining yourself as libertarian. Because libertarians now that the distinction between libertarian and Republican is about spending and, and the level of government. So it's no longer about conservative values. It's about level of spending. That's what's, I think, a little frustrating. And, and I don't know if our generation will have to deal with it, but our kids, if, if, if any of us decide to have kids or have kids already, Boom. it's going to be something. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's weird that, I, I don't know, I, I feel like, you know, I, I feel like they've become caricatures of, of, of what they used to represent. It's really odd. Cause I feel like they latch onto really specific things and yeah, like, you know, I'm a very fiscally conservative human being. That's how I operate, at least in my day to day. That's how I balance my book. That's how I make my investments. But, um, I just don't really see any, um, indicator of that in this administration or, or previous Republican administrations. Fuck the only I was going to say the last time was probably under Reagan and even then. Oh, dude, like crazy. He was issuing tax cuts like a motherfucker. Yeah, that's that's the interesting thing. That's really the question that when we do, yeah, when we have your government class in school, there needs to be more focus on what the role of government should be. And that's no one's really talking about it. Republicans and Democrats always debate about what's the best policy. But nobody wants to really fundamentally talk about what the role of government should be and whether the government is too big. And I think that's the libertarian argument. And that's where I'm at. This government's way too big, way too, too much spending. It needs to be scaled down considerably. And that's really the answer. But now the question is, is well, the government is so large now, is it even possible to scale it down? I mean, could you imagine casting your vote for a libertarian candidate? No. You vote blue or you blow red, man. That's pretty much yeah, the only exactly option that you it. have. What yeah, colors so do you like? Right. The lesser of two evils. But you know that now the Republican Party isn't going to be fiscally conservative, or we don't think they will be. So can we even see that type of reform on a government level, scaling back spending? Uh, I don't know. I think it's done at this point. I, I actually agree with that. I mean, I'm, I'm also a firm believer, you know, I think obviously we need to look at changing up healthcare. I think, you know, we need to look at changing up the education system. I think we need to look at changing up, uh, you know, infrastructure and all these different things. But I'm also the kind of person that I think the worst possible person to do all that is the government. And yet those are the people we keep looking at trying to solve these different issues when I'm more of like the, I think the free market or the, you know, just individuals can probably do a much better job than the politicians who bicker and piss all over each other. I agree. I don't know. I mean, I think, I think the reason why people sort of put all their ambitions and hopes and think that the government can change anything. There's a very strong current against elite people in this country. That's either anti-capitalist 
from the Democratic Party or tender anti-elitism from the Republican Party, right? Trump ran on a platform that, you know, either the swamp was taking your money or look at all these corporations not paying taxes, taking your money. And that same current, that same platitude was very strong and is very strong in the progressive left with the Bernie Camp and the AOC. They're very, very anti-capitalist, anti-corporation. Bernie, pretty much anytime he wants to rally the group, you know, essentially just lambast the pharmaceutical companies. That's his been, that's been his pedestal. Um, I think the reason is people have very little faith that corporations, I'm not of this opinion, but I think people don't think that if you have money, if you make money, you can do something noble or, or ethical in this country. And I think that that's just wrong. I think, and we need to break that. We need to find a way to get a message across that just because people, just because money is involved doesn't mean that we can't do something ethical. We can't do what's right. Well, yeah. Yeah, so what you're pointing out, Jerry, pharmaceutical companies, is that if if everyone had a level playing field, then things would be a little bit better with pricing on those drugs. So the argument is is that you have countries like Canada who have a nationalized healthcare system, and so when they purchase pharmaceuticals, they basically say, hey, we're only going to pay this much for, for these drugs. You have to sell them to us at this price. And so... By doing so, they're maybe taking a loss, and so then they're in a, in a capitalist country like the United States, they're selling them at a higher price to offset what they're selling at for these. Basically, it's a subsidy. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I agree. Like, there's obviously a lot of risk that goes in developing pharmaceuticals, and I think pharmaceutical companies have every right to charge the price that they do. Um, but I mean, not to get too bogged down in that conversation, but I mean, what I mostly or more broadly meant is that we need to stop blaming corporations or we need to have this, this shift in most people's mentality that corporations, companies can't be ethical, you know, either for people themselves and that just because companies are making money that we can't somehow be ethical or moral, right? Like we need to get our hopes and dreams and our desires changed away from government. We need to be able to do it in yeah. an open market and in a free market, right? We can't turn government every I time agree. we want to see change. Like we need to be able to drive behavior in a free market and not just rely. I agree on with government. you. Totally agree. Well, it's like those people that go out there and hold those signs that say that like there is no such thing as ethical capitalism because they don't believe that any corporation like Jerry's saying that is out there to make, you know, a quick buck has any to- type of ethical approach to their business. And I, I, d- I disagree with that. I think capitalism is probably the most it ethical is. approach, but, <clears throat> but yeah, it's, I mean, you'll get, you're going to have people that are, you know, the socialists or the communists that think, you know, that the only way to make it ethical is like you said, is to give everybody that level playing field, but no matter what wrapper you put it in, it's just, it's, it's, it's the draw on a lure of power and money. Exactly. And really no matter what template you put on it or around it, if somebody sees an opportunity to take two when they should take one, a lot of people, not necessarily all, but a lot of people are going to take two. And it's, it's, Fuck, man. It's a really hard quagmire to uh, get ourselves out of. Yeah. 
Like, wow, how do you police that? Mm-hmm. Like, what do you do short of literally taking it over and being like, well, this is absolutely what we have to do 100% of the time now. What you do is what we should be doing right now and is that we be very cautious as to what rights we're granting, you know, the government. Like, these, a lot of these government expansions that we're talking about happen yeah. during moments of crisis. For example, the most, I guess, the most, famous one yep. in our lifetime is the Patriot Act that came out of 9-11. We lost a lot of our liberties. Yeah, we lost a lot of privacy laws. A lot of rights Republican, to privacy. Republican administration. Yep. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So right now, in a moment of crisis, people are very willing to give up a lot of their rights because it is, hey, there's a virus. We need to be you know, careful and defeat this virus, but People need to be very careful, very watchful of what their governments are doing and not allow them to take all these rights and, and implement these bloated bureaucracies that they're going to stick with for the rest of our lives. Well, and it just begs the question is what rights are people willing to give up in order to feel safe and secure? So, I mean, yeah, it's just where are you going to end up drawing the line? The question is going to be what's this, what, what type of legislation are we going to see? So, I, I, I guess... Are we going to see loss of rights from this? Um, we are. I I don't know how much legislation you're going to see on a permanent basis. There might definitely. It, it's hard to say because again, it's all speculation. But I do think that we do need to up our collective consciousness of response to something like this because it's going to happen more. Our population worldwide is only increasing, and we're only eating further and further into wild territories and eating more and more exotic meats, which is only going to just throw more outlier viruses into the main, it, it basically, I mean, wh- wh- when did this first hit officially? Like four months ago, December, November. I think it was like December. Yeah. Yeah. That ballpark. So you had something that, what did it come from? Um, I, whatever. It came from an obscure animal in a remote spot, and in a period of, what, less than two quarters, it's now completely wrecked world economy. You know, people are at home. People are losing their jobs. People are doing X, Y, and Z. Like, Mm -hmm. at the very least, I think there needs to be legislation in place to uh, mobilize a quicker, more effective response to something like this. So that's what... Well, I think... No, Jim, I cut you off. Go ahead, please. I was going to say, uh, well, I think preparation is obviously important as far as like preparing for this, but I don't think that the legislation needs to do any type of restrictions on rights. So, I mean, if we were to do something more along the lines of like making it more accessible to manufacturer life-saving masks, like those N95 masks, or like I brought up in that last podcast of how only one particular area in had all those sailing bags and when it was hit by that hurricane in Puerto Rico we lost like our nation's supply of sailing we need to essentially have more preparation as far as that goes as far as being able so if something like this does happen again there's much more available resources as opposed to essentially scrabbling and trying to get you know like 
God bless all the companies out there right now that are doing everything they can to just make those N95 masks and turn them, you know, left and right. But we shouldn't have had to have gotten to that point. We should have had this stuff essentially prepaid or prepared. At least least a contingency plan that essentially could say, hey, entities X, Y and Z, you have a guaranteed stimulus package set aside so that you can start mass producing X in the event of Y. Because to say, hey, a respiratory well, illness not only is going to We should have already had the resources available. Like, we should be looking at all sorts. Like, with shy of some, some uh, cataclysmic event, you know, Yellowstone erupting or a meteor or something like that striking, we should have had, I think, this stuff prepaid, prepared, excuse me, not prepaid. Um, and that we should have essentially, you know, just not have to essentially be scrambling is what I'm saying. Well, that's just reactive yeah, supply chain logistics, man. That's that's saying, hey, I'm going to run a bare minimum of this. And if uh, demand comes short term that I need to fulfill, it's more cost effective for an entity to say, hey, I'm going to build it as it comes to meet demand in real time rather than sitting on a repository of something that could go bad, could get damaged, could be lost in a fire, could, you know, fall off of a shipping container in the ocean. It, it, it's I would say it's just it, it's. Don't know guys, everything good. Everything, everything you guys are saying right now is going to be justification for government expansion and a new government mm. being created. Because that's exactly what everyone else is going to say: is this is a failure of the private sector. We were unprepared. Mm-hmm. We didn't have everything set in place, and so you're going to now justify the creation of a a new government program. I mean, we just. Well, if the initial question that we had was the constitutionality or potentially the morality of of what we should do, I mean, it should at least be a conversation. And yes, somebody could use that and weaponize it and say, hey, we need to pass this legislation. We need to make this bureaucratic wing of blah, blah, blah to make sure X, Y, and Z is in place. But I mean, what, what would be the counter to that? business as usual like i just don't know where it's going to go from there no one is yeah go ahead jerry yeah and i think i just real quick i think that there is a lot of criticism to be levied against companies like a lot of companies were not willing to take and they were just waiting until the last possible moment and pretty much laying on the structure of the federal government i think if businesses are going to continue to say we, we are ethical and i Obviously, I think businesses are, but we need better responses and better contingency plans from our own. And we need to demand those from our own businesses that, you know, hey, we're willing to right. lead this fight and not wait on government response. Because as you're saying, Lane, like all these things are justification. And a lot of these people use the same justification for 9-11 for terror. Like, well, we right. were prepared and now we have to have overreaction. Yeah, I think that's, you bring up a good point, Jerry. So, I think it's I think I. Your, your perspective is a little bit more like leaning on the free market, uh, you know, leave on uh, or lean on uh, the private sector to, to kind of solve these, some of these problems. And I think the problem is fundamentally is we don't, we have a hybrid system. We have a government that will step in and bail out large companies when they fail. And so the private sector is now thinking, okay, well, I have a little bit more of a, a, a parachute here. The government's going to bail me out if something happens. It's that, uh, what's that effect when somebody uh, is in a large, you have an individual in a large group and a large people are watching and, you know, someone's getting, yeah, the bystander effect, right. The bystander. 
Like, I feel like we're kind of in that scenario in the private sector. The private sector is like, whoa, 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 I, I mean, government's going to do something, right? So, but if we maybe fundamentally fix that issue where we reduce the role of government, the private sector would step up. And I guess that's the point I was trying yeah, to make, but I, I guess maybe I wasn't elaborating it very well because I was thinking it was more should have been the comp corporations essentially being prepared for it, but I just don't articulate my points particularly well sometimes. <laughs> so would you say that to potentially legislate morality to these big businesses is a bad idea? You're hoping that they will step up and perform their civic duty as major employers, major producers, and basically just be good citizens. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think employers don't want their employees sick. I think they don't want to, one, it's just wrong to see that. And two, you don't want your workforce diminished. And yeah, I would like to see that onus shift towards our businesses and our business leaders versus waiting on essentially, essentially just you know, allowances from the government, just letting the government work dictate what you do as a business. How bad do you think this is going to get? I think if companies... Oh, go ahead. Oh, oh. I think all four of I us literally just right <laughs> at once. It's a Canadian standoff well, that oh, I've ever heard. Of. Willie, why don't you go ahead and ask you... <laughs> go ahead and ask your question. That's not yeah. like... The only question you I was going to ask no, is, no, like, no. how... Please, like, please. Where, where do you yeah, think the peak is on this? Like, how bad do you think this thing is going to get before we start to see a, you know, a denouement and a wind down of cases, deaths, et cetera, et cetera. It just, just, I mean, this is pure hypothetical, but just what do you guys think? Well, I'll jump in real quick. Um, it depends on how uh, serious you think the disease is. I think there's a severe lack of medical capacity in the United States. And so the level of testing is not what it should be. So it could be that with the level of testing improved, that we find out that the disease is less fatal um, than maybe we think. So really, the isolation that we're experiencing now is based on all available evidence, the best evidence that we have to date. If new evidence presents itself, then that will, I think, uh, create an opportunity where we can say, okay, this is maybe too extreme or, you know, or we can say, yes, this was justified this because we're literally shutting the economy down. So, yeah. But as far as exactly. shutting the economy down, the, the, the shelter in place orders, we're already seeing a healthcare system. That's, that's, you know, what would you say? An ICU anywhere in the country is at 50 to 60% capacity on a good day. And if the expected number of people that are going to come in, needing level one critical care is going to be significantly higher. You could overwhelm the health, uh, the healthcare wing of this country. And then essentially the deaths skyrocket. So that, that's the whole push for the social distancing. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. hold on because not every area of the country is getting, you know, 50% capacity in the ICU. So you have very, you have specific pockets like New York, um, there's other areas. No, I'm yeah, saying I'm saying per, like before this is even considered, your average ICU is at a significant capacity. Before this is even, yeah. I don't, 
No, no, no. That's my point is I don't think the average ICU is at capacity. I think it's select areas of the country that are at capacity. Okay. More heavily populated, densely populated areas? Yeah. I think if you look at uh, the majority of the country, I don't think is the ICU or, or the hospitals are overrun. I think it's very, very specific areas of dense population, like New York. Sure, where, where their population density is unusually dense, like they're 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 slammed. As far as like right. just 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 people coexisting, I'm not saying in this case. I'm just saying there's what, what what even is the population of New York? Like what eight nine million people? Like it's it's a gigantic city. New York City, yeah, that's or I think right around Jesus eight Christ. million people. It's not even that big. I mean, I think the entire. Yeah, I think the entire state is somewhere maybe around like yeah. 15, 16. Yeah, because outside of the city, like there's a lot of rural, especially upstate. Uh-huh. Yeah. But anyway, Lane, continue with your point, I guess, what you were trying to say. Yeah, so I, I think – so what Willie was asking is what is the end result? What's the worst-case scenario? Or maybe that's what we all want to know. Um, I think it's going to be – as soon as more information comes to light, and that's really what we're facing, is a lack of information. So we're assuming worst case scenario, hence the stay-at-home order and the willingness to shut down the economy for the most part. Um, but once new information comes to light, then do you do, so? Do you believe the economy can recover once everyone goes back to work, and how quickly can it recover? Fundamentally, I think the economy was strong prior going to this. Uh, there was no underlying issues with the economy. Unemployment was the lowest it was been in 50 years. So do things return to normal once the stay-at-home order is, is rescinded? Restaurants open back up. They hire back waitresses and waiters, bartenders. Uh, your, your gig economy goes back into play, Uber, Lyft, et cetera. Uh, any of your business people who are traveling for work, they're now traveling again instead of at home on their laptop. So does everything just turn back on with a switch? That's the question. The other part of that is if we release or relinquish the stay-at-home order, does the virus make a return in the fall? I would hope not, but I mean, it's impossible to predict. Yeah, and as Lane was saying, we don't have the information. It's very likely, and I think there was some preliminary studies coming out of Iceland that. Oh yeah, I mean, it would, testing is what a fraction of the population that have access to it. Yeah. So meaning that the mortality rate is a lot lower than it's right now. I think the consensus is around two, 3%. I mean, it's higher in other countries like Italy because the virus is a little, it's more aggressive. It tends to attack both lungs and cause a buildup of, of dead cells and causing pneumonia. So you have to have these, these essentially the ICUs filled to capacity. Um, but I think the reality less from an economic standpoint, but more from just virologists is that, when the virus enters right. sort of a seasonal flu cycle um, until we develop a vaccine. And even then, it might not have 100% efficacy. Vaccines are tricky. Um, 
So I think as a reality, we're just, I think worst case scenario, and I think a very likely scenario is that this is just something that we're going to have to live with. And much like the flu or other unfortunate series of events in our society, this is just something that becomes 20, 30,000 people die probably every year. And I think, unfortunately, that's a scenario that we have to live with and can't continue to shut down everything because 20,000 people are dying. You know, that's that's something that we have to live with and something that we have to come to terms with. So I think that that, that's that's a scenario. Would you say that this this shutdown is at least a short-term response to building up ventilators nationwide and, and building up the necessary materials that we need to yes. mitigate deaths that you're going to find in hospitals and other healthcare facilities. Yeah. Like, hey, I we are way material light. We need to build up our materials, give us two months. And then once we're up to snuff, eh, vaccines not coming anytime soon. We, we have to reopen things. Yeah, I think that's exactly what it is. It was a delay to, Number, yeah, the flatten the curve and then yeah. increase medical capacity. And that's always, and that's the debate now is that we have a severe lack of medical capacity, which is going to, again, further that argument for government expansion, government role, or government to step in and fill this role or fill this void that they've identified. Yeah, I'm not saying that won't happen, but um, it, it does sound like we definitely have a deficiency that's left us with our pants down so to speak and um whether it's 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 legislated to be fixed or uh there's a, a big collective push by all of the private entities to stock up for what has become a new reality for us i don't know right it's tough to say here's a do you guys see you guys, yeah, yeah. Question sure. is: Do you guys see things okay. fundamentally changing for our lives going forward based on this event? I don't see how we can go back to it just being the norm like yeah. how it was beforehand, because people are going to be bringing this up in elections, conversations, debates, things like that going forward to try to essentially justify how we handle things going forward as well. So I don't see it essentially being something that's just going to be pushed aside and being like, wow, that was a fluke. So. Yeah, I don't One from, I guess to start off from an international point of view, we have to stop pussyfooting Mm -hmm. around with the Chinese communist party, not continue to have these open markets and we have to start dealing with, as a credible threat, the fact that one person in a meat market in Wuhan can get the rest of the world infected and shut down a global economy, that's ridiculous. And also the World Health Organization, shameful response from them and just coddling and just their obsequious behavior towards them. They, they can't even answer a question on China. The director of, of the organization just would just defer he even logged off from a conversation that he was having with a journalist. He couldn't even answer questions like, just stop. Like, we need to treat China like an adult. They're going to participate in the economy. We need to have actual position in their market. And so that needs to change. We can't go back to just waiting for the next epidemic to come out of China. That well, to not cut you off, Jerry, but haven't the last um, several, like, big 
diseases come out of China, like SARS, MERS, things of that nature as well, all due to different types of bad practices that they have in their their market? Yeah, the, the very serious one, SARS, the last one, but the only one I can think of was swine flu that came out of Mexico. But the very, I very heard that um, they're starting to um, ban the open meat markets in China. I think as of like mid last month, I saw I saw a few articles pertaining to like, no, nah, they're fucking shutting it down. But again, it's it's news out of China, so who the fuck knows? True. Is there any way to essentially kind? Of, well, I mean, we're already holding China responsible because we know where it originated from, but is there any way to essentially kind of do some sort of enforcement of the way of things Jerry was just talking about? Like, I honestly don't know how we could enforce any type of rules upon China to try to prevent any type of further outbreaks coming from China or even the rest of the world as far as that goes. Yeah, it's a good question. You need, you need free flow of information. And I think that was the issue that Jerry was pointing out is, when the first cases started showing up in China, we weren't really getting noticed. Well, they were actively silencing whistleblowers. Correct. And they're, yeah, not accurately reporting the significance of the, of the death. So I don't think there's any way you're going to be able to control that. I think what you have to would potentially do is physical, physical things like travel restrictions or travel bans or, you know, during certain times of the year. So if, if this does become like a flu season type epidemic, it's going to recur going forward, you know, between September and April, you have specific travel restrictions from China or, or certain types of things like that. I just don't even know how that'd be policed. There's just so much fluidity as far as what's going in and what's going out. Right. Look, I, I think we need pressure on China, and we need these organizations yeah. to start acting at some kind of platform. It's ridiculous. Things yeah, I think what Jerry's pointing out, too, and I think what your the conservative side of the argument is going to point out, especially the Trump side, is uh, our reliance on China for labor and manufacturing. And that's become very evident that we're utterly dependent and upon them. Everything runs the truth through China. I mean, even our pharmaceutical drugs are running through China. So do you want to rely that much on a foreign country for uh, that much of your GDP? Valid question. What would be the alternative? More expensive iPhones. <laughs> this is $7,500, the iPhone 13. <laughs> really hope you're excited to have this. I mean, we have a lot of cheap. I mean, everything's cheap right now. I mean, it's it's pretty affordable. There's like cheap shit on Amazon, and a lot of that has because of China. So, I mean, prices are going to go up. Oh yeah, without question. But I mean, it's it, it looks like we're starting to reach uh, a pinch point Did with our relationship. I mean, they're obviously cutting corners. They're 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 obviously been very lax with that their oversight. We 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 mentioned you know the open meat markets and the pressure cooker of fucking ailments that have been coming out of 
stacking hundreds of different species alive and dead on top of each other with zero freaking health restrictions being like, yeah, let's see what fucking happens. Want to eat this? Go for it. Um, yeah, maybe we will have to divest some of our imports from them. And yeah, the unfortunate side effect of that is going to be fucking cost. I mean, what? An iPhone 11, 64 gigabyte right now. Uh, shit, I, I think they had a price drop. Um, they were 700. They might be as cheap as 500 bucks now. You're not going to see those numbers. Huh. They're going to be a couple thousand bucks. Yeah. Yeah. And it's going to be interesting, but I mean, like, you know, considering how cheap it is yeah. to, to, to write a loan but, for anything right now, finance a couple thousand bucks over two, three years, how big of a change will that trigger? Who the fuck knows? Right. Yeah. Uh, speaking <laughs> of uh, pinch points, if China starts to toilet paper, all will be forgiven. Dude, it would be a huge flex right now if you were to toilet paper someone's house. I love that. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's how much supply I'm sitting on, friend. Yeah. <laughs> Enough to say. And also, here you go, buddy. It's a mess, and I know it's not the best method of, yeah. uh, you know, giving you said material. But if you're patient, you've got yourself a couple of months of supply up there. So, yeah, the guy's probably like, "Thank you, thank you." Oh, I don't know why you did it at the tree, but seriously, thanks. <laughs> Oh, watch it rains and just is like, ah. Yeah, we have. You really timed uh, this poorly. There's been a drought for months. Why could you do it then? <laughs> it's been baked in the sun. It's even more absorbent. God bless America. Yeah. I uh, I was goofing around on Twitter the other day, and uh, there's this guy. I think he's called like at Conspiracy Plots or something like that. But he posted this thing that I thought was kind of funny, and he goes. Recently, China has openly blamed the U.S. for the coronavirus. Some are beginning to believe that China started the pandemic on purpose in order to retaliate against the United States for imposing tariffs on billions of dollars worth of Chinese goods. Chinese influence has the potential to turn other nations against the U.S., massively decreasing trade to their country. I was like, wow, I think I think that's a bit of a stretch, guy. That's that's a well, little, honestly, man, a someone's rough. always they're gonna they're gonna look at a horse and be like, that's a fucking zebra. Yep. Don't need any more conversation. <laughs> That's a fucking zebra. I, 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 for some people, it's just a well, condition. What bothers me is that so many people were like, yeah, yeah, that makes total sense. Like, oh, you work with the, the public. Though, there's a lot of dum-dums out there. Yeah. Just like, wait, what? what? That last 20 seconds you gave me was inarticulate <laughs> and rambling. I hate you. Let's be quiet. <laughs> Write everything down that you need, and then we'll get it done from there. Guys, I, I gotta go. I gotta I gotta make some din din with the gals. But um Lane, good chatting with you, man. It's been a long time. Yeah, you too, Willie. Uh, appreciate yeah, appreciate you guys having me on and I'll stick around, but hopefully I'll uh see you soon yeah. in person. Yeah, you know, maybe next year. Um I understand that we're all gonna get hamster balls <laughs> here and just walk around in those. Those would be pretty cool. They're climate controlled, though that's kinda neat. I mean, the reality is we didn't, we, we weren't, you know, hanging out before COVID. So we're probably not going to hang out after COVID, but, you know, I want to at least be polite in our, in our salutation. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> so we'll see you soon. 
Can't wait to see you. So soon, so soon. We're gonna play badminton, baccarat, Whatever. all the things, starting with B. It's gonna be fun. Oh uh, yeah, that's right. Next Let's time you're in four calls, you have to hit me up. You have to. <laughs> you must. You, you simply have to. All right, gentlemen, I'll leave you to it. Have a lovely evening. Stay safe. Wash your hands. Yes, right. <laughs> anyway, later, buddy. Cheers. Now that we got that little wind bag off. Huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, just to uh, answer your question, it's going to be hard to see how we get back to how things were. I, I unfortunately, I deal in my day to day job with a lot of small businesses. Yeah. And they're laying a lot of people off and they're closing. So I think uh, a lot of people are, at least a lot of businesses aren't going to make it through. And, it is. Say. It's hard to say how we come back from that. So yeah, U.S. has never been yeah. through an event like yeah. before. No. Yeah. No. I mean, even after nine eleven, things shut down like... for a bit. But we're not talking like the months that we're looking at here. We were talking maybe just what a week or two. Yeah. I mean. Yeah, and it was more out of it. And now it's for a couple of days. That's about it. True. Well, and I think it was more out of respect. And then, of course, they weren't sure what other plots were still in motion. But, but, but yeah, I mean, even after 9-11, which is the last biggest event in U.S. history, I mean, I can't remember anything essentially being essentially anything remotely as similar as this is. Nice. Sounds good, buddy. I'll be right back. I'm going to grab another drink. I'd like to take this moment to thank our sponsor, Alcohol. Sweet, sweet alcohol. What are you drinking over there, Lane? Uh, well, can I, do a, can I do a plug? Are we allowed to do a plug? Yeah, go for it. Yeah. Sure, why uh, not? New, Bel- <laughs> new Belgian Voodoo Ranger IPA. All right. Uh, if we're doing plugs, then I'll do a plug. Um, I'm drinking Pendleton, and if you uh, if you guys Ooh. are whiskey fans, it's actually a pretty good whiskey for a pretty reasonable price. So, <laughs> like I I got like a giant bottle of it for like forty bucks, and it is good sipping whiskey. Nice, man. All right, I'll I have my whiskey supply has been depleted. I need to need to restock for sure. Yeah, I mean, I'd recommend Pendleton. It's it's good. I mean, at least something that you were recommending though is local. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, you did know New Belgium got bought out, right? Yeah, they got bought out by an Australian company. Australian? I thought it was the company that owns uh, the Japanese beers. I could have swore it was Australian. Okay, you may be right. I gotta look it up. But yeah, employee owned. Mm-hmm. Well, all the employees apparently got a pretty nice uh, chunk of change for it that was added to their uh, 401k. I always laugh, so. man, at the socialist because that's the socialist argument. They say, "Oh, the employees should own; they should reap, you know, control the profits." Like that's perfectly fine, man. But that's exactly what happens: is you sell the business for a ton of cash. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean. I, you know, obviously I've got a billion different problems with socialism, but I mean, in this particular situation, I think, you know, 
what was kind of great with New Belgium is that a lot of the people that ended up getting hired on at New Belgium, like they took a lot of pride in their in the company because they did essentially become part owners in the company. And, you know, they were encouraged to essentially act as owners of the company so that they actually were able to, you know, they, I don't know. Every time I went in there, it was pretty cool. You know, the employees would be like, Oh man, you got to try this beer, you know? And I'd be like, Oh, you know, I've, I've already got this full one here. And they're like, no problem here. Next one's on me. And, you know, and they just go ahead and give you a beer. Right. And it's because they were encouraged to be like, Hey, you're part owner of the company, so if you feel like this is something that would benefit the business, do it, you know? So, which I thought that was kind of cool that it gave them that sense of empowerment. But that might just be more of, like, the new Belgium, you know, reputation, their business model, things like that, than opposed to some of the other employee-owned businesses out there. So Yeah, I think, well, I mean, I guess my point was that employee-owned is still capitalism, and so, mm-hmm. obviously... Oh, yeah. They benefited by, you know, being, they were probably compensated with shares of equity within the company. They were worth something. But, yeah. Uh, We were talking about New Belgium being sold to uh, that Australian company. And then we were kind of talking about how the uh, employee-owned type thing is actually a form of capitalism when a lot of the socialists are like, employees need to do, uh, have these rights of employee ownership of different companies and blah blah blah. So, and they yeah, and then they sell it for a ton of money. Oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, they did great. I mean, go then. Those employees, they made some some nice buku bucks in their four hundred one k because of it. So good for them. Yeah, man, we've had clients at uh, Facebook who original uh, original employees at Facebook who were basically granted ISOs instead of stock options before they even went publicly traded. And then you have millionaires in their late 20s, early 30s. Yeah. Just from that. Well, I think just like, from a job, just from like a job each, interview. I think it's like also what Facebook now has stocks worth almost $200 a share. So yeah, if they were loaded up on stocks, man, yeah, you're, you're not joking. They got, they got, taken care of for sure yeah if they were buying it at 30 cents a share mm-hmm. or they were just being gifted them uh, I, I read a story the other day about uh, a guy that uh, worked for apple and essentially is when the company first started he uh he got hired on as a janitor and uh they basically his christmas bonuses were different types of stock um you know shares and, you know, for like the first 10 years or something like that, that he was working there, he's basically just getting stock as his Christmas bonus every year. And then he ended up retiring, like, cause he sold all of his shares. Uh, he retired at like 45 or something like that. And he's still made like $9 million or something like that off of all the shares that he was gifted to. So wow. I was like, that's pretty legit. Just being a janitor for the company. I mean, and you're getting your Christmas bonus with stocks in that company. Pretty legit. I know. Hell yeah. Yeah. I mean, I could live comfortably off of $9 million, I think. Yeah. I'd have to make a few compromises, but I think I could pull it off. <laughs> yeah. My lavish lifestyle might have to take a little bit of a hit, yeah. but I think I'd be okay. <laughs> uh. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So, uh, Jerry, we were doing plugs for the alcohol we're drinking. What are you drinking? Oh, uh, I went with my favorite, um, not cheap. Nice. Mm. Those are both uh, higher. Uh, Daniel's Rye. Yeah. Yeah. So, what other uh, topics yeah, have been on your mind as of late, Jerry? Uh, honestly, I, I kind of ashamed to say it, but uh, coronavirus has been very prevalent on my mind a lot. Um, I'm reading a book. <laughs> it just feels like every day, I don't know, like every day I'm hyper aware. And even though it's only been in the news for like really, really been in the news for like three weeks, it's felt you know, the longest oh, three weeks of my life. Um, Oh, no, I just, uh, just to finish up, I, I can't remember being this in tune or this acutely aware of every day, like just being yeah. aware of what's going on in the news. Some days it's been out. it's been a strange sensation. Um, so where I live, I live uh, 200 yards away from the interstate and uh, <clears throat> every, you know, at night I'll go out to the dumpster, which is just down the street from me. And it's about maybe 60 yards from the interstate. And I never thought about it much in the past. Um, and when I take my garbage out there and throw it away, you know, I'd always have that white noise in the background of the interstate, you know, just cars driving by and stuff like that. The other night I went out there <clears throat> and this was recently after like this shelter in place order was given here in Colorado. And I walk all the way over to the dumpster and I, you know, throw my stuff in there and I'm just, realizing like it's eerily quiet and it's took me a second to realize like there's no traffic on the interstate you know something that i've always taken kind of for granted that's always just been a white noise in the background you know with the cars driving by and stuff like that is now all of a sudden it's gone because people are now you know staying at home they're ordered to stay at home as well and you're just kind of like you're noticing little oddities and then like yesterday i went to the grocery store and it's just it's so strange to see everybody now like wearing gloves wearing masks uh you know the cashiers have giant sheets of plastic uh, or not sheets but like of uh like clear plastic uh like on the actual um checkout line so that way there's a barrier between you and uh and the cashier so you're putting your stuff on there, but that way there's not like that interaction anymore. And of course they're all now being ordered to wear like gloves and stuff like that. And it's, it's definitely a weird, a weird world that we're living in now. And it's, it's, it's kind of strange. I mean, you just, you're seeing all these different ways that, you know, people are now being told like, this is, this is the new norm for the foreseeable future until we just tell you otherwise. And just all these things that you've kind of taken for granted, but and it's now like, Nope, can't do that. It's a very strange sensation. Yeah, empty, empty yeah. shelves has been the biggest thing that I've had to adjust to. It's like, obviously, it no way compares to what's going on in Venezuela. But, like, you know, that socialist hellhole that is Venezuela, that there's actual right. you know, famine and actual empty shelves. But you're kind of a little bit of insight as to what they deal with. I never and you feel extremely spoiled yeah. and <laughs> you don't realize how coddled you are like to see MPLs was a bit of a shock for me and and yeah and all the things that you're referencing Jamo what's going on here as well in San Diego it's you know people are 
observing, you know, or following those uh, six feet social distancing. Me and Kelly went to the park the other day and everybody was kind of, you know, standing, you know, keeping their distance. It wasn't full, it was super empty, but three or four people that you did see, you know, they all had masks on. So yeah, it was different. It was, and weird. you know, it's kind of highlight on what you're just talking really, about yeah. there as well. It's like, uh, it, it drives me crazy. I live by a park as well. And I take my dog on a walk there every day. Now that essentially I, you know, just to get out of the house, it's one of the only ways that I really can. <laughs> but it drives me crazy is when I walk through my neighborhood, because I, I also live close to school. So there's a lot of, a lot of children that people are supposed to be, you know, following the rules of this social distancing. And yet when I walk up to this park, there's still, like I saw today, a group of like six people walking their dogs and they were, they were like less than three feet apart from each other, every single one of them, you know, laughing and to- joking and stuff like that. And I'm just like, why the fuck aren't you guys following the rules? Like we're trying to, we're trying to stop the curb here. And, you know, these are the rules that have been set in place with our best possible knowledge that we have right now. But yet it's, it's like you guys aren't willing to give up your, aren't willing to give up your lifestyle you know, right now, because maybe one, aren't taking the threat seriously, or two, you just, you don't, like I said, aren't willing to give it up right now. And I don't understand that. Like how a lot of people aren't abiding by these rules. Well, here's an interesting stat that I came across. This is from the World Health Organization. They said that the mortality rate, uh, 95% of all deaths are 60 and over. Mm-hmm. But I think I think that's the answer to your question, JMO, is you know, why are younger... The fact that they're younger, that they're not, they're feeling invincible still type of stuff? Yeah, exactly. They don't... Mm-hmm. You still there, Lane? Yeah. You guys got me? Oh, sorry. Yeah, you, you kind of disconnected there for a second. Sorry. So, yeah, I, I don't think they care. And I... I... Yeah. Yeah, that was the the big uh, yeah. The, <laughs> right. Did you guys see those spring breakers in, in Florida a couple of weeks ago? We're gonna stay young well, forever. Let's, let's be honest. When you're young in your twenties, you're trying to get laid. So true. Really don't. <laughs> I mean, it's like you let a you let a cat out in the alley. It's like if I'm gonna go try and get screwed, you know, get laid and find somebody. I don't care what type of danger may befall me. Yeah. And I, and also it's like you know, a lot of people, like I know a lot of people in my own social circles that don't follow the news even as closely as I do. Like a lot of people just don't know. And I think they catch a few things here and there. I mean, it's impossible to not hear, but I think a lot of people just don't really pay attention to the news that much. And then the other thing was that, that, you know, that, that stat that it only affects older people. I think that that caught kind of like a myth. You know, one of the scary things about this virus is how aggressive it is. And it's not just that you might die from it. The fact that you, if you get it and you survive, you have to, you have a very good chance of living for the rest of your life with scar tissue built up in your lungs. So, you could live the rest of your mm-hmm. life basically like you have some kind of pulmonary disease, you know, and, and just no more 
sports, no more walking. And a lot of people haven't caught on to this reality. So I think, I think a lot of people just don't follow the news that closely. And so they don't really see it as, as, That's unfortunate. as a viable threat. Yeah. Cause I mean, just think about how much of a dick you'd feel like though, if you know, you're a young guy, 22, 23 or whatever, and your grandpa is like 80 years old. And, you know, a lot of people are also, they don't realize that just because they might not also be feeling sick, that they might not be a carrier of the virus right then, you know, and then so here's they a question. go and see grandma and grandpa. Oh, go ahead. Lane, you there? You guys believe the, yeah, you got me. Yeah, sorry, you said, well, here's a question, and then you kind of cut off there for a second. Yeah, sorry, guys. Uh, do you guys believe... <laughs> he likes to build up. <laughs> you guys believe the 200K death uh, estimate? In the United States, or what? Yeah, that's, that's the U.S. projection. The model projected 200K dead. Best case scenario. I mean, I don't see why it couldn't couldn't reach those numbers. I mean, there seems to be so little ground right now that's uh, being taken back from the virus that I, I don't see why we couldn't hit, you know, potentially 200 to a quarter million people uh, dead from this. I'll look up what the current total is right now. Uh, let me let me pull that up. So we had about. 12, I think I have a link for it. I think it was twelve thousand five hundred from H one N one, if I'm not mistaken. Could be in that number, sure. Jerry, do you have any thoughts on that? Are we getting disconnection issues here? I hear you, JMO. I don't hear Jerry, though. Yeah, I don't hear Jerry either. Oh, there you are. Now you're back. Can you hear me? Oh, there it is. Um, but yeah, I was just uh, saying that I don't see any reasons why we couldn't hit those numbers. Um, this YouTube channel that I like is called Minute Physics and he put out a good video about um, how hard it is to see when you're in sort of that exponential growth phase. Um, we are sort of in the middle of that. We don't know when we're going to essentially start to taper off from that, that growth. Um, unfortunately, like we've been saying, like it's, it's a very aggressive virus, so I don't see why we couldn't hit those numbers. I think they might be a little bit exaggerated but as of right now it's just so hard to say when we're in the midst of it just we don't know if this social distancing if these um shutdowns are actually happening. yeah so what do you think about like all what's Maybe. going on like with uh oh go ahead Blaine. you're fine 9600 confirmed dead in usa 9600 correct okay so what do you guys think though about what's going on with like the, uh, you know, with like China and Spain and France and Italy and stuff like that right now, where it's starting to show a decrease in numbers after all this, uh, 
social distancing. Uh, do you think that that we're going to continuously to see uh, a decline in those numbers in those specific countries, or do you think it's do you think that's eventually going to come over to the United States if that's the case, uh, or do you think that we're going to maybe just see like a decline and then a spike again, or what? What do you guys predict is going to happen? I guess. Go ahead, Jerry. Yeah, uh, I mean, all those countries that you named, I think, I'm not too up to date on France, but I know the other ones were pretty, uh, I don't know, for lack of a better term, draconian, authoritarian, like they were pretty Mm -hmm. rigid in in their enforcement of these stay-at-home orders, like cops actually be driving around the neighborhoods. I'm not going to trust any of the numbers that come out of China right now. Especially China. Perfectly honest. Um, Yeah, no, no. Yeah, there's pretty good evidence to show that they've been lying. And, I mean, there's pretty good evidence to show that a lot more people died. But, I mean, the, the graves and the bodies barely being given back to the ashes are barely given given back to the families in Wuhan. And mm-hmm. I mean, some right. numbers of 40, 50,000 people that died in Wuhan alone. So, yeah, it's very preliminary. Um, but I think. Hopefully, hopefully we're seeing the numbers from Italy decrease and hopefully that they're getting a handle on things. Italy, you've been seeing all the pictures and all the horrible stories. is very, very sad and very depressing. But And unfortunately, I think that that's what's headed. It is in New York. Hopefully it's not headed towards the rest of the U.S. Um, I think population density has a lot to do with that. Um, but... Hopefully, hopefully New York is just... I think, what, is Washington the next biggest state that's being hit by it? Like, right in the Seattle area? Unfortunately, the South is being very... I think they're saying New Orleans is probably going to be the next epicenter. So... So I've got this thing pulled. I just pulled it up. Yeah, New York shows that there's currently 123,018 active cases. And their current deaths is sitting at 4,159. Shows next is New Jersey at 37,505. Michigan is at 15,000. California is also at 15,000. Louisiana is at 13,000. Massachusetts is at 12,000. Florida is at 12,000. And then uh, Pennsylvania at 11, Illinois at 11, and then Washington's at uh, 8,000. So so it's, it's starting to taper off or not taper off, but just getting lower and lower as each state goes. And the lowest currently shows that it's in Alaska with only 185 cases. Remarkably, the only state that has zero deaths right now is Wyoming. (laughs) It is the least populated state. So they were doing social distancing just by basically the fact that they lived in Wyoming. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Hell, we've been doing social distancing for centuries. You know, Jim down the road, he's got a cough. I just figured I'd best not go over. I haven't been watching the news or anything like that for a while. Well, hell, I got to get some milk. I better pack up the bags. It'll be a two-day trip. (laughs) So. Yeah, that I guess that makes sense. You know, 
they also, you know, somebody could have died, but nobody's going to find them for another three months. <laughs> right. So. right. I think Wyoming has bigger problems than COVID-19. Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. Wyoming's problem is that it's Wyoming. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Wyoming. Uh, no offense to any, any listeners in Wyoming. We love you. Yellowstone's great, but let's face it. You're like... You're kind of shitty otherwise. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but... Oh, well. Um, Forgot what I was talking about before that. Oh, uh, yeah, I guess uh, we were talking about projections of close to 250 or 200,000 deaths in the United States. Yeah, I don't see it. I don't see it that high. I mean, we're at 9,600 now. 200,000. There'd be 190,000 more deaths. I don't. I mean, let's hope that it doesn't hit that number. I mean, obviously, we don't want, you know, this to get out of control. We're hoping to do everything we possibly can to prevent that. So, I mean, hopefully, I'm wrong. Absolutely. Yeah. Hopefully, you're right, you mean? (laughs) Yeah. Sorry. Hopefully I'm wrong. Hopefully all those fuckers die. <laughs> I hope I'm wrong, and I hope it's a million. <laughs> uh, so. Elaine, is there any been anything on your mind in the last uh, few weeks besides COVID nineteen that you think would be fun to talk about? Honestly, yes, I do have a uh, something to bring up. Just um, sure. One thing that is a big part of my life is sports. And we've had no sports in our life. I know yeah, that, that's true. Yeah, that can sound a little maybe selfish given the you know adversity that everybody's facing, and I'm sure there's people that have had you know direct impact by this. But it also it changes the day to day life for a lot of us, and so we understand what we maybe took for granted. And I feel sports is one of those day-to-day things that has been, a, I don't know, significant impact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, dude, my day-to-day, my favorite sport is soccer, like European, anywhere in the world. That's my favorite sport. Unfortunately, it got shut down. My next favorite sport, fighting, like boxing or MMA. Then I was just barely getting into basketball. <laughs> so all those sports are fucking shut down. And I didn't realize it was like every day and every weekend was like pretty sports dominated. Like you wake up, watch right. soccer, every other Saturday, every third right. Saturday, we watch a UFC fight. And if it wasn't UFC or soccer, it was basketball. Not yet. I mean, football. Fortunately for us, hasn't been affected, but who knows? It might, but yeah, who knows? But yeah, those three sports were, yeah, I agree. It's sports has been one of the strangest things. I, it's definitely, you know, one of the biggest parts of my life. Like, it's something that I did absolutely every day, and it's, yeah. it's been weird. It's been well, and like, it wasn't opening day supposed to be it. here in like a week or two, and now it's been postponed until basically to be determined. For baseball? Yeah, it was supposed to be Friday. Um, my girlfriend and I, we 
I we both took the day off PTO for we were going to go to opening day, and uh, yeah, we were, we requested that off a few few months ago, but didn't happen. I mean, just imagine right now. Let's say it was announced that Monday night there's going to be a sporting event. Pick your sport, basketball, NHL, whatever. No people in the stands, but let's just say it was a, you know, primetime television event. That would get me pretty excited. Yeah. I'd watch whatever. Right now, uh, people would love the distraction, too. Absolutely. They they just they just don't have it right now and right now it seems like the only thing that they can watch is the news yeah. and the news is talking about COVID-19. So it's like it's it's kind of just at the forefront of everybody's mind. There is no no distractions right now, which yeah. maybe with the exception of podcasts, but which is, you know, we're still talking about COVID-19, but <laughs> so Yeah. You know what's been funny is a uh... So another big part of my life, I, I love going to concerts and especially like uh, going to see different DJs or, or just seeing different people that I like. Right. Music has just been one of the things that we've kind of had to get concerts with. Well, then shut down. And I've been watching a lot of musicians on Instagram. And one of the ways that they're trying to get through this little hive live, live events, either on YouTube or Facebook or Instagram, just for like some kind of way to like deal with the lack of shows and concerts. And that's been kind of like a little bit tied into the same concept of sports. It's like, how do we get through this when it's just such part of our lives? Like they don't know what to do. So they just have these like <laughs> concerts in their living rooms. I just feel bad for a lot of the students right now that are not going to be able to have their traditional graduation, you know, with walking with the cap and gown. And then also the fact that a lot of like those students aren't going to be able to get a, to have like their senior prom or anything like that too. I think that's, that really sucks. Yeah. Me and, uh, me and Kelly were planning our wedding this time last year. We were leaving bachelor and bachelorette parties. Like all that shit shut down right now. Like schedule. Sucks. Can you imagine having like your birthday right now? Just be like, Hey everybody! It's my birthday. Stay home. <laughs> Don't just come a and guy see in a me. party hat sitting in a chair by himself <laughs> with a little yeah, like the narco little kazoo, <laughs> little kazoo they blow out. Hey, <laughs> it's my birthday. Hey, mom. <laughs> Sorry, you couldn't make it this year. <laughs> I got the card you sent with the five dollars in it. Really appreciate that, mom. By the way, inflation inflation has done done a number on five dollars <laughs> over the last thirty years. Yeah, Uncle Sam sent me a check for twelve hundred dollars. <laughs> yeah, <now>. mom. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Uh, can you imagine also like speaking of sports and like the fact that a lot of them are, are not on right now, I was thinking like that's also a huge impact on the economy right there because those are all multi-billion dollar right. businesses, you know? Yeah. So it's just crazy to think that a lot of people aren't even, you know, generating the economy based on even just sports. Right. <laughs> it's crazy. A lot of that revenue obviously generated from stadiums and, but most of the mm-hmm. revenue comes from TV contracts. So they can't even broadcast it on TV. 
So that's the argument. You may see that as a relaxation of the uh, social distancing where the teams are actually playing, but there's nobody in the stands, and that would allow the, the TV revenue to kick back on. So we may see things in stages. Yeah, yeah Europe maybe. did that in, with soccer, with like the Champions League and the Europa League, and it was fucking weird. Like These stadiums were just empty, and it was like watching like high school soccer I'm like, I guess it'd be the same thing as basketball. You're like, you don't realize oh. how much fans add to the ambiance, even on TV, because it's, it's like literally like this is high school soccer. It's kind of weird. <laughs> right. And the guy's getting paid $9 million a year. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we saw that at W, uh, the liquor store down at the end of our corner in our street, they uh, always play the WWE because I go there around 12 o'clock yeah. every day. Um, and so WWE is on and it's empty. They're doing their WWE uh, broadcast in an empty empty arena. But they still, they're now adopting hmm. their, you know how they do their monologues and their pre-fight Smackdown, I guess. They're adapting it for COVID. So they're, they're acknowledging the fact that nobody's watching them. <laughs> and they're incorporating that into their <laughs> SmackDown. <laughs> and it was kind of awkward a little bit. A little awkward. That. Here's my conspiracy yeah. theory as to why they shut down sports. They shut down sports Go to on. try to send Tom Brady a message to fucking retire. But no, he decided to come back to Tampa Bay <laughs> and they just can't seem to get the gosh darn pointer along to him that it's like Tom we don't yeah. want you here anymore and Tampa Bay has been under COVID-19 <laughs> quarantine for the last 30 years <laughs> basically the entire rest of the country is going to go off quarantine but they're going to still put Tampa Bay under quarantine just be like fuck you Tom yeah. we're done with you <laughs> Tampa Bay's like look guys that's why we haven't been practicing the last 30 years we knew this was coming <laughs> So that's, that's my conspiracy theory. Watched, oh, me and Jamie watched a comedy show. What was it, like, last weekend? Yeah, I sent Lane the same link, actually, and I think Lane watched a little bit of it, too. Oh, you watched? It was weird. It was awkward. It was weird. The guy was just, like, on Facebook Live, like, trying to make jokes, and he, like, very quickly realized how much an audience, like, you rely on them. Feedback. Well, dude, <laughs> yeah. uh, you feed off their the dumbest part was, he gave out his cell phone number. <laughs> <He's> like, <laughs> what was he doing? <laughs> uh, I want uh, cell phone number again, real quick, and we can give it out on this podcast. But unfortunately, I think that recording is right. done. <laughs> and it crashed the it crashed the web uh, it crashed the <laughs> webinar. Like he was giving out his phone number, and everyone tried to FaceTime. <laughs> Mistake. <laughs> COVID rookie. Yeah. Kudos for trying to earn your thing, but come on. Bro, do you even COVID? Yeah, I mean... Do you even COVID? Oh, <laughs> uh, that's funny. But yeah, that was such an awkward thing to watch just because like he tried for what was it, like twenty minutes to tell one joke, but then people just kept like calling him and FaceTiming him. And then eventually when he finally got the punchline out, we're like, We don't fucking care anymore. We just want to see the actual comics. <laughs> but you're just so damn determined to tell us this one joke. 
Yeah, dude. And then when the comics got on, they weren't even that funny, and it was it was just not that good. Yeah. Yeah. The only one that I liked was the last one, but mainly is because I could relate to what he was saying because he was talking about Denver. You know? Oh, was he nice? Yeah. I mean, he had this joke about like how he got to Denver, and he was talking about like the weed laws in Denver, and then he had this joke about the Rockies, and uh, you know the the baseball team. Oh, yeah. He's like, so I was going to buy said, a ticket, and it was like, said, six bucks. And I they said Iraqis, <laughs> not the Rockies. Iraqis. He had this joke about Iraqis. I was like. Yeah, you know, <laughs> Iraqis. <laughs> Baghdad. <laughs> you had this joke about Iraqis. And I was like, well, that was back in the 90s, so we're probably fine. <laughs> yeah, if anything, but... this virus has shown just how interconnected and how much we like being around other people. It's pretty insane. Yeah. Then there's the then there's the introverts like me that are just living the life right now. I'm like, wait, so I get to stay at home every day and not interact with people except my dog? This is great. Jamo's <laughs> like, well, I guess I got to eat mac and cheese every day. <laughs> Actually, I'm going to give myself credit where credit's due. I have been dieting and exercising because I have literally nothing else to do, and I've been hitting it hard. Thanks, so. man. I'm going to give myself props, though. Good for you. Yeah. Good for you. That, But I have been drinking more beer, so that's yeah. probably I've been drinking more in general, <laughs> but yeah. Seriously. I'm, like, yeah. hungover every day. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was, like, what was it? It was uh, Friday night, Lane. You and I were playing the video games until, like, 2 in the morning, and I looked over, and I was building a little, like, Coors Light mountain, and I have like eight sitting there. By the end of it, I was like, God dang it. <laughs> <laughs> and halfway through it, I realized I ordered a pizza as well. So I was like, damn it. I really did undid all the work I did this week. <laughs> worth it. Worth it. Yeah, <laughs> worth it. <laughs> Tell you what, it was nice waking up the next morning with a little bit of a hangover and just having pizza in the, in the fridge being like, all right, this is all right. That's oh, not the worst. so bad. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. That, no, I agree. A lot of people. No, oh, good. Oh, I was just say interesting. Like, yeah, certain sectors of the economy are doing actually thriving based on this, and um, yeah, yeah. I think Domino's though, their stock was jumping up. Amazon, Netflix, pretty much anything with a digital format mm-hmm. or digital platform. Yeah, I didn't realize how much going out to bars and restaurants was hurting my wallet like I, i'm like god damn it what yeah. i spend my money on i bought a kindle the other day i had money to buy a kindle would have never bought a kindle ever <laughs> I, you're like where did this money come from <laughs> i bought a book the other day i don't even know what the fuck a book was <laughs> there's something else i was gonna say but now i'm forgetting what it was <clears throat> Music. I've been turning to uh, a lot of music lately. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Jamo, I don't know if you want to. You yeah, know I, what? What kind of? No, I'm sorry. I don't know what kind of topics you want to put in your podcast, but. We can... uh, literally, we we've talked about everything on this podcast. I mean, we had an episode on Game of Thrones, so we can talk about whatever. Yeah. What do you guys listen to music-wise? Let's hear some artists, some songs. I'll, I'll give you. <laughs> 
my new revelation. You know, uh, recently I've been uh, I've been digging on the weekend a lot okay. lately. I like his new album. Nice. I heard good things about it. I have not checked it out yet. Yeah, I like it. Um, I've also I know they're an older band and they've been around for a while, but they're new to me. And I've been also getting into Ratatat. I think they're pretty cool. Fun, or they're they're pretty fun. So Ratatat. Yeah, they're mostly instrumental. They're kind of like EDM type music, but I dig them. I think they're fun. Nice. Okay, I'll check them out. Yeah, I was going to recommend Jerry? it. And also, I've been, uh, been listening yeah. to that Weekend album a lot. Amazing. It is. It's really good. Yeah, I really like it. Uh, I've been listening. I guess it comes down to you. Yeah. Uh, Lucas Graham. You guys remember Lucas Graham? Yeah. Isn't he a country singer? Not a country singer. He's, he's a... Oh, no, I'm unfamiliar with him. I would call him a Brit. He's got a British accent. He may be UK. I don't know. But Lucas Graham, uh, two albums, one in, I think, out in 2015. He's going to be a very poppy, uh, very similar to Ed Sheeran. I would put him in that mold. Mm. Kind of that hybrid between pop and pop. Uh, very, very forward vocal. Yeah, like- yeah, really talented singer. Really, yeah. Oh, sorry. What was that, Jerry? He had like that that twenty one, the seven years song or something. Seven years, like that. exactly. That's the title song. Uh, that whole album is really good. I went and listened to that that whole album the other night, and then the album he has after that is really good. I was actually surprised and impressed. It was like really just kind of chalked him off as that one hit wonder but went through and listened to the whole album and really good i like big fan of vocals he's got great range in his vocals uh on the recordings the vocal presence is very forward which i like and Hmm. he does a little bit of a blues soul man kind of a stevie wonder he's got some stevie wonder vibe in him a little bit so, good man. That's what I. That was. A, that's what I was digging on last night. Hey, that's not good. I mean, I'll check out anything. You and I typically send out pretty similar music because that's kind of what I remember from our, our days when we used to be like neighbors and we played Madden until like three in the morning and we always jam out the tunes. We always had some really fun tunes. So. Yeah, man. I. Uh, Music is is my passion for sure. Yeah, I mean you're you're an incredible penis, so <laughs> I think that's the correct pronunciation, isn't it? Yes. The gentleman, so. real copy is Lane. Are you hearing him correctly? Uh, so yeah, uh, Jamo, your audio is very distorted. I just hear like penis in a very distorted. Yeah. 
like you sound like you sound like Megatron. You're <laughs> like one of those smokers that has to put those to their throat. Yeah. Hey, Doc. I'm trying to say penis. Yep. Just hearing. Just... Still hearing the the best part about this, Jerry, is that Jamo just keeps <laughs> talking and not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It just sounds. <laughs> Jamo, your your microphone's fucked up. As well, I think we found a good stopping point. I think so. <laughs> I'll sign us up, Damo. I don't know how. how that's fine. Your microphone. Apparently, apparently, I'm a transformer, so that's fine. Yeah, you sound like a transformer. Right you. All right. Well, <laughs> fun. We should do it again. Um, yeah. Yeah. Everybody, thanks. Thank you. This goodbye. Are we all, are we all saying Later. goodbye? Okay. Yes, goodbye, everybody. Jerry, till next time. Camo. <laughs> yeah. Till next time. See you later, buddy. Right. Bye. Bye.